What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 138, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, Lifeboat. Lifeboat! A lifeboat! Lifeboat! Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I suppose that ship didn't have enough of them. Anyway, um, we're an independent podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. Doing so gives you access to some perks. Uh, there are some tiers and privileges. Some of the privileges are uh, immediate access to Patreon-first stuff that we do. Uh, Zach and David have a show, uh, The Other Side of the Gate, where they talk about spoilery things and big themes and things generally that kind of like would ruin the show if I listened to it, so I don't listen to it. Zach and I have Stargate Second Chances, where based off of your votes, Patreon listeners, we then rewatch certain episodes, and we just got done recording our rewatch episode of Children of the Gods yesterday. Yes, we did. Which was a lot of fun to do. And uh, yes, there's it was. also the third... The third thing that um, that when we first set this goal, we were like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that'll be the day. Um, <laughs> because of a stretch goal of support, we were like, hey, you know what? If we get if we get like seventy five dollars a month, we should totally do this like animated non-canonical series at Stargate and watch that thing. Well, here we are, Zach, um, <laughs> consistently above that mark. And so um, thank you, everybody who's supporting us on Patreon. It really does mean a tremendous amount. And it is a lot of fun to have to be called out on that. Hence the name of that show stargate infinity we lost a bet um so let's see here did i cover the things yes oh yeah yeah you know the big one the important one the, the one that matters the one that's uh that's honest and says uh do you have to support us on patreon to get access to that stuff and the answer is an emphatic no no you do not because i hate that garbage however i did want to do we did want to do something nice for the people that wanted to like help us out a little bit but if you can't or won't and won't is a valid choice. Don't worry. All this stuff ends up on our main feed eventually. Typically, when we want to take a break, we'll throw in a show uh, on the main feed just to keep your content uh, fresh and and lively and algorithm-free as best as I can do it. Um, and uh, if anybody in your life needs more Stargate... I mean, come on, like everybody does, right? Who doesn't I mean, need more that. Stargate? I'm starting to understand how that is literally true for every human on the planet. They may disagree. That is their choice. However, if you got a friend and they're like uh, either wanting to watch Stargate or have watched Stargate and want to sort of have it fresh, suggest this podcast to them because uh, I think we're doing a pretty good job and y'all think that we're doing a pretty good job. So, you know, spread it around. That's that's the good stuff. Absolutely. So... Uh, Zach. Yes, Brent. If a listener wants to email us and uh, let us know that uh, when it's obvious that I don't have a natural segue, that it becomes almost unbearable to listen to me pitch it to you because I literally come up with any word that pops into my brain the immediate moment that it happens and I start speaking it as opposed to just saying something and letting you do it. How might they get a hold of us and let us know? Well, let's be honest, Brent. Uh, we both just kind of fly off the seat of our pants for like 99% of things here. Um, yes. <laughs> so so this this really isn't like unusual. People shouldn't be surprised. Unless this is your first episode with us, and then you could be surprised. And if that's the case, you should totally email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com, which is W-A-K-I-N-G. I can't do this because I didn't get enough breath. Anyway, walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. You can just go there and say that uh, this is your first time you've listened, and you're a little bit confused, but you hanging in there with us because this is Stargate and you love Stargate. So whatever it is, you yep. can do that. Yep. 
How was that for a transition, Brent? That was all right. All right. I think that worked out well. Thank you. Oh, good, good, good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I could help you there. Um, so, as Brent said, we did record our Stargate Second Chances yesterday of Children of the Gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have Forever in a Day and Beneath the Surface on our radar, radar mm-hmm. next. Um, we don't have a specific time for that. And speaking of taking a break... Uh, at this point in time, what is the weekend, Brent? Is that like the twentieth, nineteenth? Uh, yeah, I think so, it's gonna be Saturday the nineteenth. I think is, I think I'll check that. You keep going. Yeah. So anyway, in in a couple of weeks here in February, uh, around the nineteenth or so, we yeah, will 19th. be in the same place. But because we're in the same yes. place, we'll be doing something else, and we won't be able to podcast. Yes. So no. that will be a week where uh, we will dig into the archives of our Patreon first stuff and get that out to uh, you, dear listeners. Mm-hmm. So with all of that, Brent, mm-hmm. today we are talking about Lifeboat, which is yeah. the sixth episode of the seventh season of Stargate SG-1. The- yeah, six, seven, should be an eight there somewhere. But yes, yes. You know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, this is like, the I don't I got nothing, but Peter okay, DeLuise is the director for this episode. <laughs> oh, oh, we're doing it now. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, like I said, I didn't have I had nothing, so I just kept going. <laughs> you just gonna just keep going. It's it's all right, all right. Peter DeLuise uh, didn't have nothing. He had something. He had something because he did this episode. Uh, this is his third yep. directing credit of seven this season. He did Fragile Balance mm-hmm. and Orpheus. Um, interestingly, mm-hmm. this is a season where most of Peter DeLuise's uh, directing credits come in pairs. Uh, hmm. I can't remember off the top of my head if he's directing next week. Uh, well, Orpheus was last week, right? Orpheus was last week. No. No. No, it it was... Um, it was... Uh, people are yelling at their thing right now. Yeah, you no. You guys did blah! Oh, now, I now, now I gotta pull it up two here. Two words. Oh, dear. Uh, let's see here. Uh, revisions was last week. That's right. Revisions. Right. It wasn't two words. It was totally no, one word. Duh. No, no. So Peter DeLuise did Fragile Balance and Orpheus, which were back to back. And yeah. then he's did Life. Yeah. He will do direct next week as well. And then later okay. on, he'll direct another pair. And then he'll just have a single later on. So he's like this. Yeah, this is a it. season where he just directs them in back to back pairs and such. Yep. Um. That's just kind of an interesting little sidebar there. Uh, the teleplay for this episode was by the creator and showrunner of this series, Brad Wright. This mm-hmm. is his first of three writing credits this season. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, as for guest actors, I'm only going to highlight yeah. one of them. Uh, there were a few other extras um, incidentally, and I didn't write this down, I didn't write his name down, but the, the guy who, um, was like Tyrion, um, yeah. when, when, when he was like real and he's like, yes. uh, you know, uh, what are we going to do, sir? Or something like that. I can't remember. Uh, he was yeah. actually originally an extra, uh, and, but then the guy that they had originally who was going to do that line couldn't be there for that day when they were recording. And so they pulled him up from the extras into the guest actor's spot. Nice. And according to uh, Peter DeLuise's memory, this was the one thing that gave him enough credits to get his uh, union card, which is kind of cool. Oh, that's fun. Huh, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Um, so anyway, th- that we're going to actually talk about James Parks, who is uh, 
Farron in this episode. That yeah. was somebody else. This yeah. is Farron. So, James Parks is an American actor who has worked with distinguished independent film directors like Quentin Tarantino, John Sayles, Robert Rodriguez, Kevin Smith, and David Lynch. That's a quote from mm-hmm. IMDb from his publicist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he was inspired to act by his father, who is a veteran actor, Michael Parks. And uh, James began with classical training and work in Shakespearean theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has since worked consistently in film, television, and theater, uh, appearing most notably in uh, The Hateful Eight by Quentin Tarantino, as well as mm-hmm. Kill Bill Volume 1, uh, mm-hmm. Amigo, and Amigo, uh, in uh, Ascalto in 2006, and in episodes mm-hmm. of Deadwood in 2004, True Blood in 2008, and a number of other popular television series, including, but mm-hmm. not limited to, Stargate SG-1. That's right. Um, he stars in The Elevator, or starred in The Elevator, which is an English-language suspense film shot in Rome by Italian director Massimo Coglitore. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I may have butchered that. I don't know. <laughs> there may or may not have been an absolute murder on that name. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, you know, fortunately, my butchering of names does not result in actual death. Correct. So. No people case. were harmed in this, in this story. Yep. Uh, James's first IMDb credit came way back in 1990. He played mm-hmm. Will Sharkey in the TV movie Blind Vengeance. Blind Vengeance. Indeed. Um, and then, of course, we Will also have... Sharky. Will Sharky. He was a shark. I guess, I have or, no idea. or at least sharkish. Or sharkish, you know. Kind of like a shark. Yeah. Sharky. Or like a little shark. Yeah. I think maybe, maybe more like a little shark. Oh, a, a, a baby shark, if you will. Do, 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 baby shark. Do, do. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'll stop. All right. Uh, of course, this episode also has Gary Jones as Sergeant yep. Walter Her- Herman, and it has a focus on Terrell Rothery as Dr. Janet Fraser. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this episode originally aired on July 18, 2003. Uh, we were still listening to Beyonce because, you know, when Beyonce starts singing, we are all crazy in love with her. Was it last week that I couldn't remember? Whatever. What, whatever week it was, when I looked up the song, I was almost ashamed that I forgot it. <laughs> it was probably last week. Oh, um, boy, this song is a banger. Yeah. Um, it, I, I didn't it, actually listen uh, yeah. to it last week, so I still don't oh, have a clear picture of it. No, it's I'm, ugly. I'm sure it's, that it's, if I heard it, I would like, oh, okay, that's Oh, man, it's like, it's one of her signatures. It's huge. It's just huge. It's, yeah. good. it's good stuff. Well, you know, when you have songs like Crazy in Love, people start flocking to you. And often there are bad boys who flock to you, which is not good. But when there's two of them, it's even worse. I have no idea. (laughs) You know what else has bad boys? Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. You know what Uh else else has bad boys? The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yes, Sean Connery should not have said yes to that movie. Whatever movie he said no to in order to do this was wrong. Yes, agreed. uh, In any case, you know what else has bad boys in it? Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Oh, boy. Yeah, there's a lot of bad boys in that one. 
And you know what else, 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 else has bad boys? What? Johnny English. Only they're English bad boys. Oh, I gotcha. They're bad lads. Ah, ooh. Naughty lads. Yes. Naughty lads. <laughs> naughty lads. A brace of them. A brace of naughty lads. <laughs> Meanwhile, our English I, I listeners are look- like, no, no, we d- no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't look this up, but isn't um, uh, Bean in John English? Yeah. Uh, uh, Rowan Atkinson? Atkinson? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you know that there are shenanigans ensuing. There. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <sighs> okay. So what was happening at this time? Well, on July 17th. One day before this episode aired, the 36th annual San Diego Comic-Con International opens at the San Diego Convention Center. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, go Comic-Con. This is way back when Comic-Con was, like, still cool and, and some nerds, and it was breaking into uh, mainstream stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I we're like, right. look at that! Our, our nerdy stuff is in the mainstream! Yeah. And, and now we don't care. Well, now it's, now, now it's like... Super mainstream. <laughs> it's, oh, it's, it is mainstream. It is. All right. On July 20th, in France, 16 people are injured after two bombs explode outside a tax office in Nice. Nice. Uh, I know. I know. <laughs> but I... <laughs> oh, sorry. I shouldn't be laughing. That's terrible. That's, that's terrible. I, I, I couldn't resist. I mean, we've been doing such a good job of butchering names. I figured I should keep going. In uh, this place called Franchi. I'm not sure where that is. Uh, Franci. Oh, Franci. Fra- oh, got it. Franci. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Franci. Franci. I, I got it. I, I, yeah. Anyway. On July 22nd. Members of the 101st Airborne of the United States, aided by special forces, attack a compound in Iraq, killing Saddam Hussein's sons, Uday and Kusay, along with Mustafa Hussein, which is Kusay's 14-year-old son, and a bodyguard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The bodyguard doesn't even get a name. No. Unless Mustafa is the bodyguard. It which does is, seem to imply. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, there you go. It doesn't take too much longer after. Do they? I can't remember what the order of things is. If they got Saddam Hussein after him. Yeah, it was really. It wasn't that long after this. Some trivia about this episode. Mm-hmm. One, Michael Shanks won the Leo Award for Best Lead Performance by a Male in a Dramatic Series in 2004 for this episode. Yeah, I can see why. Yep. Uh, Brad Wright wrote an outline for this story in season six. But it was shelved indefinitely because the premise did not fit any of the current SG-1 team members. He had this idea, he kind of wrote some stuff down, but it really needed to focus on Daniel. And it didn't fit the other ones, and so he put it on the shelf. However, in Season 7, when Michael Shanks came back, then they pulled the the story out, revived it, and went with it. Kind of giving a little bit of side-eye on that one. I mean, I could totally see it working with any of our major characters. Well, he had but in that mind... that was not Brad's opinion. Yep, that's right. He had in mind Dr. Jackson, so... Fine. Um, this episode, uh, 
kind of like what happens to Daniel Jackson in this episode is similar to uh, the Star Trek Next Generation episode Masks. Uh, mm-hmm. Data in that episode gets a whole bunch of uh, personalities downloaded in his brain because he puts on a mask. No, that's mm-hmm. not true. It happens to him because <laughs> something weird happens, and then he puts on a mask because he's got all these personalities. Anyway, it's mm-hmm. actually not a bad episode. It's a good episode. Uh, and mm-hmm. also, this happens in the episode Infinite Regress, which is a Voyager episode, and I don't recall specifically what that one is about. I don't either. It's been a long time since I've seen either. Voyager. Yep. Um, according to Peter DeLuise, in the commentary for this episode, uh, Richard Dean Anderson's father passed away during the filming of this episode. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he was not available for most of the filming of this episode. So most of the time when you see the back of O'Neill or the shoulder or something like that, it's actually his photo double, Bill Nikolai, mm, mm-hmm. uh, who is often seen as one of the technicians next to Radar. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, but that's, uh, you know, the, the photo double. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, uh, when Richard came back, they had to film all of his stuff. You know, I think, if I recall correctly, they were, the rest of the cast was more or less working on the next episode, and they were kind of filling this in as they had space yeah. uh, for his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So uh, the set for uh, the Stromos, mm-hmm. uh, when, when the art department was said, hey, build us this set, they said it's like, you know, it's like only going to have like four pages of stuff in it. So it doesn't have to be that big. Well, it turns out that there are like 12 pages of stuff in that ship. Mm. And so it was a lot smaller originally than what the art department was expecting. Uh, and so they, it, they did a lot with a very little. Well, uh, in that set. But, I mean, yes. And uh, to me, it was obvious, but it also was, like, evident. Um, if, it, you know, it made all the sense in the world that these that these hallways of stasis pods would look e- exactly the same one to the next. Sure. And so um, there was a couple of shots, I think, with um, Teal'c walking toward the camera and then a different shot later with Teal'c walking away from the camera. And the lighting, I think, was... a. I can't remember if it was a tiny bit different or not, but the the position of the camera, and, you know what I mean? There was just enough about it that I'm like, oh, that's the exact same hallway that we just saw a minute ago. And who cares? I mean, whatever. It's fine. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Um, so they had something like maybe a dozen of those actual stasis pods. Yeah. And of course, they had a whole ton of extras because every wondering. time you walk down a different hall, you yeah. have to have different extras in those pods. Um, and uh, they had to be very careful with those extras because there was no escape hatch to those. Once you're in, the only way out is to go forward. And, of course, those were actually fully closed. Yeah. Uh, and so they had to pay attention to this. A um, couple of people did have some panic attack issues. Yeah. They had to let them out. Um, you know, I think from what I've been hearing is is that, uh, you know, they did a really good job with that so that they were paying attention to that and, and aware of that and made sure that people did not feel uncomfortable in that. Uh, Peter DeLuise being Peter DeLuise made sure that uh, you just know that if you, uh, you know, have a bodily function in there, you have to deal with the scent on your own. <laughs> um <laughs> The art department did not build in fans. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One guy actually fell asleep oh, sure. in the pod. Sure. Because, you know, you're supposed to lie there 
you know, back. Yeah. And, and then apparently they noticed this when he like l- tilted forward and like kind of banged into. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the little boy who plays yeah. Keenan. Yeah. Right. He was um, uh, really excited uh, to do all of this stuff. And, and he wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, after that scene, he would lean back and put the helmet on and that the shield would come all the way down. And he thought that was just the coolest thing yeah, ever. That's fun. Um, it, it turns out that the, the actual closing of that was cut from it. Well, but could you, you know, seriously, like he was too short, right? Like you wouldn't have been able to see him. Well, I don't know exactly what happened and all of that stuff, but yeah. Doesn't matter, but but uh, they did actually close that for the kid, yep. uh, and and he was just delighted to do that. Um, and um, when uh, Jackson, when Michael Shanks was uh, kind of working on the character of Keenan for himself, he studied uh, the audition tape yes. of that boy. I was wondering because I had learned that about um, Tom Hanks for his role in Forrest Gump. He modeled his yeah, character yeah. after the boy that was cast, and of course, it's iconic and it was brilliant. And I was, yep. as I was watching the boy, uh, I was saying to myself, "I bet you Michael Shanks did something similar." Yep, yep. So, um, this episode title in other languages, mm-hmm. the <laughs> Italians call it the lifeboat. Mm-hmm. The Spanish, the Czech, the Hungarians, and the Germans all call it. Lifeboat, mm-hmm. or well, the Germans are have a definite article. It's a, uh, the lifeboat. Mm-hmm, there, mm-hmm. the French call it phantom ship. Oh, okay. Which close? Ish. Close enough. Close enough. Ish. There you go. Okay. Are you ready for the synopsis? Yeah, let's get into this. All right. While exploring P two A three four seven, SG one encounters a crashed alien spaceship containing a plethora of stasis pods. Okay, full disclosure. So this was actually the very first line of the Stargate Command wiki, and I couldn't change it because it used the word plethora, and I liked it. <laughs> a bounty. A bounty of stasis. Uh, no, 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 no. It, plethora. Plethora. A plethora. Okay. Anyway, back to the synopsis. I wonder how many a plethora is. <laughs> Nothing left to do, but count the stasis pods. Oh, gotcha. God. How much is a plethora? Well, let's count. One, two, three, three. <laughs> oh, dear listener, that was a joke from a 1980s uh, Tootsie Roll, Tootsie oh, Pop commercial. I wonder how many people got that. I, I bet you a surprising number did. Uh, you know, we have a lot of listeners who are our age or older, and anybody in the United States who are our age or older probably experienced that commercial. True. In any case, back to the synopsis. The team splits up to start counting. When Jack gets to six, he discovers a pod that has failed with nothing but the desiccated corpse of its current resident. So apparently that's just five. Mm -hmm. Uh, Suddenly, an energy field sweeps through the holes of the ship and each of our heroes are knocked unconscious. Oh, Oh, no. no. Teal'c wakes up first, alone. He begins wandering the holes looking for his teammates. One by one, he finds them unconscious, and he cannot wake them up. That is, until he reaches Dr. Daniel Jackson. Daniel wakes up, but screams in fright upon seeing the Jaffa! Ah! Mm -hmm. With the assistance of another SG team, Teal'c is able to get his friends back to the SGC. Jack and Sam are rushed to the infirmary to be scanned and probed until they figure out what's going on. 
Daniel, however, is struggling the whole way in the arms of Teal'c and wants nothing more than to return through the wormhole. Never mind the fact that you can't go through the wormhole that direction. Suffice it to say, they lock him up in an isolation ward upon getting him back to town. Upon examination, Doc Frazier determines that Jack and Sam have suffered some kind of neural shock, but that they should be okay soon enough, and sure enough, a couple of scenes later, they're awake and no worse for the wear, except for that headache that feels like a nail in the head. Incidentally, those kinds of headaches really, really suck. Mm. Daniel, on the other hand, seems to have become host to not a Guawuld, but to several other personalities, all vying to control his body. As for Daniel himself, he appears to be trapped deep underneath these personalities in a coma-like state. None of them are especially helpful, especially Martise, the sovereign. Yeah, he's a big fat jerk. Uh, except for uh, Tryon. He's one of the ship's crew members who's now floating around Dr. Jackson's head. There's also a small boy named Keenan trapped as well. As Janet walks with, as Janet talks with each of these personalities, a picture of what happens begins to develop. A crashed ship. The crashed ship was the Stromos. It was one of three ships built by the Talthans as a last hope to preserve their civilization. Apparently, there was some sort of dark star that was going to come and and create a a uh, solar flare that was going to envelop the planet and kill everybody. We knew from I, since when I was born, for my whole life, we knew that the world was going to end. Anyway, the Stromos was heading toward Ardina when it crashed on P2A347. And since they didn't have faster-than-light travel, they put everyone in stasis pods for the centuries-long voyage. The crash must have damaged the ship in some way. Shocking, because crashes are known to do that. Mm -hmm. The only way these consciousnesses could be in Daniel Jackson's body is if their original bodies were already dead. I, I may have missed a sentence in there, but that's okay. I don't think he did. Okay, all right. Well, you know, my head's a little bit fuzzy, too. I don't have extra personalities in there, but it's still fuzzy. <laughs> anyway, they need more information if they're going to remove these people from Daniel's head. General George authorizes a return to trip, a return trip to learn more. Sam Teal'c and another SG team head out on the ship. They discover that the power systems are failing, not surprisingly because it is a crashed ship. But Sam is confident an aqua generator can be used to supplement and stabilize the power systems. Soon they discover Farron. He appears to be the lone non-stasis member of the Stromos. He's also the one who attacked them the first time they were there. And he's also dealing with about a dozen other personalities from the ship in his own head. This was the only way he could save the people when the ship's power could no longer sustain their stasis pods. And the whole system is in danger of failing and losing everybody. He's clearly near a mental breaking point. Uh, shattering, really. He's just about ready to shatter his brain. But somehow he's managed a strange democracy of one. Farron wants each of them to undergo the same procedure as Farron did himself and as he did to Daniel. Unsurprisingly, they refuse. He insists it's the only way to save this civilization. But Sam, being Sam, has another option. She can stabilize the power of the ship, and the SGC can help relocate the refugees to another planet. Maybe even Ardina. Who knows? Mm -hmm. There's more than a thousand total people on this ship. That will be quite the endeavor. But 
They will only do that if Pharaoh undoes what he did to Daniel. Now, that sacrifice would be enormous for Pharaoh. Not only would he lose his sovereign, frankly, no big loss there if you ask me, he's kind of a big fat jerk, Mm -hmm. uh, but he would also lose his son Kenan, which would be terrible, uh, the little boy who also inhabits Daniel's mind. Still, recognizing that this is the only way to save the rest of his people, and that seems to be his primary task, he agrees. They take Farron with them back to the SGC. He meets Tryon and his son, and they agree to the sacrifice. Martise, however, pops his head in Daniel's body and does not agree. He wants to keep Daniel's body and orders Farron to stop this whole thing so he can stay here. That's just what he wants. Now, at this point in time, Jack gets exasperated and bluntly tells Farron his sovereign is already dead and he only has one choice if he wants to save the rest of his people. Just one choice. Shaken, Farron agrees. SG-1 hooks up an aqueduct generator to the Stromos to stabilize the power systems. Woohoo! The Talthans are revived from stasis and a relocation plan gets underway. Also, woohoo! Farron helps SG-1 transfer the consciousnesses of the Talthans that were in Daniel's brain to Farron's brain. Again, Mm woohoo! Apparently, because Daniel's own mind dwelt in a coma-like state throughout the whole process, it was easy to remove the other minds without damaging his own. With the strain of so many minds in one body, Farron is placed in stasis. Hopefully his people will find a better solution for him in the future. Daniel wakes up with a nasty headache, but otherwise no worse for wear. The end. The end. So, Brent. Mm-hmm. It's a lifeboat. Mm-hmm. What'd you think of it? Um, I, at... Uh... At various points in this episode, I was uh, alternating between absolutely enraptured with how this story was going to develop and tearing up from the like the the weight of what this story was implying, and genuinely uh, just just in just just pleased as punch as at how the story was developing. Uh, when we got to the very, very, very end, it was a bit confusing as to what precisely happened. I knew general hand wavy kind of what happened, sort of, and it was difficult to really kind of unpack, uh, 100% what happened. You know, I was under the impression that, uh, those consciousnesses would have to just be just, you know, just, they would just have to evaporate. Uh, and then I was under the impression that, um uh it, 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 even though it was plainly stated at the beginning of the episode the only the only way that those consciousnesses could have been in there is that if the original bodies were no longer alive um but somehow towards the end i was a little bit confused about like wait are these consciousnesses going to be able to be restored somehow or something you know it was it was just a little bit tough for me to kind of get my head around and um Maybe best said is that uh, I thought that the personalities were going to just evaporate into the ether. I thought that Mm -hmm. Farron was about to just crumble under the weight of the same burden. And then therefore those consciousnesses would evaporate into the ether. But when I saw Farron in the stasis pod with the thing over top of his head, and then they were talking about the consciousnesses moving over, I was like, wait, what? What? I mean, what? And and then it was a general hand wave of, you know, maybe they'll figure something out in the future, which I thought was 
fine-ish, but not, you know what I mean? It was fine. It was fine. It was a sci-fi version of, okay, we can figure this out later, uh, which is okay. Uh, but it seemed to run counter to the philo- the philosophical question of, uh, you know, what's more important, <laughs> one people or one <laughs> civilization? Um, and, right, because the, the story starts out assuming that the, I don't know, 24 consciousnesses that have been uh, recaptured and stuffed inside the bodies of these two people were it. Like it, this is it. These are the last people who survived from this from this society. Asterisk. No, it's not. The little boy said that there were actually several ships. Maybe many of them made it. Like you know, now that I'm actually saying that out loud, it's it 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 starts to buckle under the weight of what it suggested. But at the time, I didn't think about that. At the time, it was literally just me thinking about the question: uh, which is more important? Is it more important to preserve a person? Or is it more important to preserve a group? And it got a little bit easier for us to make that, for me, to make that ethical decision because Daniel did not do so willingly. I mean, there you go. There's the easy out. Uh, Right. uh, Because he did not agree to it, then hijacking his body was wrong. Uh, But imagine if the story had taken a bit of attack you know, I could see this story taking a bit of a different tack, which is that, uh, you know, th- throughout the episode, the team is forced to struggle with the question of, okay, who, what do we do? Uh, do we sacrifice one to save many, or do we accept the fate of many to keep the one that we like because we know him? Um, and I thought that was a fun thing to think about, a fun thing right. to, to consider. The acting was just so good. It was so good. It was so good. Michael Shanks did such a good job in each of those personalities. Such a good job. And Terrell Rothery did such a good job expressing the emotions of a physician and an officer in the military and a friend and, mm-hmm. and the multiple minds that that represents inside the one person, right? Um, we got to do this to keep you safe. We got to do this to figure out how to get you out of here. And I have to keep a level head about it because, you know, I can't, you know, I can't let, uh, can't let the friendship thing get in my way. But on the other hand, I don't plan on backing down from this thing either. Uh, it was brilliant. It was just absolutely brilliant. The, um, I, and I'm kind of realizing that I was so just completely tied up in the story that only this hot second am I realizing that we had like three sets, right? We had the the medical room, we had the uh, gate room, and we had the stasis ship. That's it. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, you know, we you know we, there was there was a great deal of faces that we saw in the form of the extras in the pods, and we had a couple of order you know not orderlies you know you know we had a couple of folks that were helping out with the thing, but you know it was it was a really uh, tight. Um, story, a few number of scenes and a f- few number of folks that were paying attention to, because one of those people was lifting the weight of like several different, several different characters. And another was uh, lifting the weight of a few, though not quite as uh, dramatically different, right? Farron, when he was arguing with himself, um, I didn't quite get the same level of difference uh, in the personalities as I got watching Michael Shanks play the three characters that he was playing. 
Sure. Three and a half. Um, and yeah, man, yeah, that was delightful. So I get to the end of the thing and, you know, I had a great time. Uh, that last little bit at the tail end did feel like a bit of sci-fi cop out. Not too bad, but a bit. Um, and I think they could have landed that punch a little bit heavier and allowed that punch to stick and it would have, and, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't have hurt in the bad way. It would have been like, yeah, that's, that's an interesting thing to wrestle with. Um, yeah, I just really, really, really enjoyed this one. Cool. So what about you? what do you think? So this one is, I'm a bit of two minds for this episode. Uh-huh. Um, I, I like the concept. Uh, I thought Michael Shanks did a tremendous job mm-hmm. um, with his acting. Um, I thought that each of those characters came out uh, distinct. Uh, they had different looks on their faces. They had they carried their bodies differently, and and it was easy to tell uh, by just looking at him uh, or even listening to him. Which one he's talking to? I mean, you know, you you had no. I mean, basically, there were three characters, right? There was mm-hmm. Keenan, there was uh, Tryon, and there was Martise. Mm-hmm. And of course, Keenan, being the boy, was really easy to figure out because mm-hmm. he just got these big, wide open eyes, and his voice just kind of got here and it's soft and 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 kind of high in there, you know. So so that was really easy to pop out. The other two, uh, Keenan or, or Tryon and Martise, mm-hmm. both being uh, you know established men. Um, were more similar, but even so, you could tell exactly when it was the sovereign, uh, try, uh, Martise talking, mm-hmm. and when it was the more helpful, uh, uh, Tryon who, who didn't believe this could be possible and yet was still able to kind of work through some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really appreciate that and I enjoy that. Um, James Parks's work with, uh, his part in, and while you are right, he doesn't have quite the same type of differentiation between the voices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's for a couple of reasons. One, we never really learn who's inside his head other mm-hmm. than he's got 12 people in his head mm-hmm. um, in addition to himself. Uh, also, um, he has spent more time merging those voices, mm-hmm. right? So while there's definitely a difference there um you know the the you know is his voice a or voice b it's much more difficult to tell uh when when things have gotten mixed up like that mm-hmm. um also it's kind of a little throwaway line i think apparently he's been there for like 12 years uh there's just a little throwaway line that made it sound like like uh you talk about Farron the- has Farron has been on that planet for like 12 years. You talk about with the, this, the tail end right there just before, like, you know, we haven't sacrificed for 12 years. I can't remember exactly where it is. I took, so if that's the one that you're thinking of, I took that line to be a direct quote that the sovereign gave his people just before they departed. Like, like, you know, you know, we will, you know, we will not let the work of our last 12 years be in vain, no matter the cost. I took that hmm. to be like a line that a sovereign says to a group of people about when they're about to do something extremely dangerous. And that's why the sovereign's head dropped is because I took that line to be his own words being like, this is the cost. This is what it's going to cost for, for us to get our people to safety. Ah, well, it could be, uh, I can't remember exactly where I heard that. And Mm -hmm. it might've been that spot. In any case, he's been there for a while. Um, what has always 
bugged the crap out of me. And it has um, really, I don't want to quite go so far as to say it, as it's ruined it for me, uh, is the landing. But I'll, I, it, it may, maybe it is a ruined. Uh, I think they landed this like the Stromos. The tail end you're talking about. The though. tail end of this, mm-hmm. this yep. episode okay. crashes and burns. Okay. We hear everything from the very beginning that once this has been poured into your brain, you can't unpour it. Mm-hmm. And they have this little thing like, well, he was in a coma-like state and he protected himself and all of this stuff. And I, I just don't buy it. Mm-hmm. It's too much of, for me, the throwaway sci-fi answer to fixing the problem. Sure. Um, and then, you know, it's just like, where do they go? Well, naturally, they're just going to pour it straight into the guy who can't possibly hold anything more because he will break. Right. You know, he's already got 13 souls on that lifeboat, and that is a lifeboat that holds one. It's overcrowded as it is. If you put 12 more people, it will break. And what do they do? They put 12 more people in there, and then, well, we'll put them in stasis, and maybe that'll fix the problem. Uh, it, and, you know, okay, that I could buy, I guess, but um, it just... It was... It felt like they ran out of time. Well, so here's... It's, a, it's like there, there was so much buildup. I mean, and, and Tryon has this big speech there with his glass of water and all of that stuff yeah. that says... This is not possible. Right. It can't be done. And the closest we get to a, ah, I'm going to MacGyver something is, oh, well, if anybody could do it, Farron can. And so Farron's here. So Farron does it. I mean, uh, if, if that were Sam, maybe I could buy that because we've seen Sam pull things out and fix things, you know, like that. Sure. Um, but it w- so, there w- there was for me there was so much build up to this is not possible to have them go says oh well bzzz, mission accomplished it's daniel he's back it fails it utterly fails for me so i um definitely did not like the glibness of jack o'neill in that scene at all not one bit um because i was interpreting that moment and, and again, I mean, like I said, I was a little bit confused about the moment. You're saying that it completely failed. I am not about to defend it saying that it did well. I was interpreting that moment in the story to be something akin to this, where uh, because of a little bit of hand wavy, we've decided that the combination of an unconscious mind and the ship's computer can keep 24 souls in in you know freeze them up hard enough that it doesn't break the lifeboat uh that in no way was it intended for Farron to actually live with all of that in his head it was intended to uh you know dump the consciousnesses into into a into a um you know into a, a meat bag uh computer network hybrid that technically can do it if it's essentially powered way down with the hope that we might be able to figure this thing out later. And, and again, like I said, I mean, it was weak. I don't think it was strong. But- so my issue is not what, what hap- ultimately with what happens to Farron. My issue is uh, Daniel. 
uh, they, they, they go, and all of a sudden, Daniel's back to normal, even though they said that uh, the, the whole, I was in a coma-like state, and that gave a barrier to protect me from the... So it, when I rewatched it this time, I've, I've hated this ever since the first time I watched this episode. Um, and I watched this episode with the intention of trying to pick up every possible clue that leads to this is being okay. And I see them. They're there. It just is too weak for me. And fine. it fails. Sure. I, it's not too weak for me, but I'm willing to do an awful lot of headcanon to make it, to, to stretch it out and make it work. I needed more. I needed something yeah. that said, okay, how are we going to get these, like, like what I needed is a scene between Farron saying, okay, we got to do this, and okay, now it's done, that said, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. How are we going to actually remove these people, and what is our process to make sure that Daniel is safe? Can it be done? How are we going to do this? Uh, I needed something, and that wasn't there, and it just kills it. Sure. I needed that. And it, so um, can I pitch a couple of headcanon ideas at you? Please do. Daniel Jackson is not the Daniel Jackson that we just saw yesterday in Children of the Gods. Daniel okay. Jackson is returned from being ascended. Daniel Jackson has the ability to remember things while ascended. Daniel Jackson's consciousness might be able to endure a shock that no other conscious could. Well, maybe some other ascended consciousness. Maybe later, when we're squaring off against Anubis again, you know, la la la, something bad, la la la, because he was formerly ascended. But my, but the head canon is well, Jackson is different. Now, way earlier, when you were saying that Brad Wright was saying that he really he he sketched this thing up in season six, and he's like, eh, I don't really see it fitting with any of the current characters. But when we have Daniel Jackson return, he's like, okay, this will work. When back then, I was like, eh, I don't know. I think you probably could have any of the characters have this experience, and you would still have the exact same power of story. Uh, and big, uh, uh, I will concede this humongous point to you right now that if it was Daniel Jackson's previous ascendedness that gave him that insulation, in no way did this story even come close to hinting at it, the best thing that we were given was, oh, well, Daniel's in a coma, so he's okay, while these other people are scrounging around. Like, right? Like like I said, this is a headcanon. There was nothing in this episode that actually said, Daniel can handle it because he's a little bit different. But that was my headcanon um, mm -hmm. when I was thinking mm -hmm. about it and kind of reconciling it. Like, well, okay, well, how would this work? Because I, I was right there with you. When, when, when uh, the glass of water was poured into the pitcher, I mean, that's part of the reason why I was a bit on the edge of my seat throughout this whole story was like, how, how is this going to work? How are they going to get to this thing? And yeah, they had yes, given us the- Yes, that, that, that was me. Yes. That was me. And, and then they're like, uh, well, whoop, we did it. My question the whole episode is, how are you going to get these things yeah. out of his head? And the answer was, we're going to hand wave it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they totally hand waved it. Yep. I was willing to do the work. Of uh, and man, yeah, I recognize the hypocrisy that I have exhibited. Where on sometimes I am totally willing to put in the work, and in other times I'm like, no. <laughs> yep. I'm and you are to free to do that because yes. you're you. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, that's right. I, it's it, we've been making the multiple minds jokes now for a few times here in this uh, recording, but it's true. Like you know, sometimes I'm willing to do it, sometimes I'm not. I was willing to do it in this one. 
Yeah. And like I said, I mean, I really did have a really good time with this one a lot, even though the ending was kind of weak sauce because I was able to be like, eh, okay, I can kind of. And again, I was confused at the ending. I kind of wish it had been a bit more clear about what was their rel- their midterm midterm to long-term plan. Their long-term plan was put everybody on ice and hope that we can figure it out later. You know, what was the midterm plan? The, you know, the short-term plan wouldn't work. There was no way that they were going to get all these consciousnesses anywhere uh, without losing them. And so they opted for some midterm plan. Oh, and that's probably where I kind of wish the story had done it a little. You could have ended on a note that was sad. That's possible. Television stories do that. Um, you know, just this once everybody lives, but it doesn't have the same power as everybody thriving, right? So just this once everybody lives and it's a little confusing. Um, you could have a moment where all 12 are gone, like gone. Yeah, I, I think I would have appreciated that more. Even that, if, if there had been a scene that says, well, okay, you have to make the great sacrifice, which is what that big scene was before. I thought it meant that, right? Exactly. And then if, if that was what it was, the, the, the great sacrifice is the way to save Dr. Jackson is to slowly and carefully pick out these other personalities and, you know, chuck them on the cutting room floor. Yep. And that's the only way to save Jackson. Gosh, that would be sad. And I'd be like, oh, painful. You know, Martise, I, I could live without, you know, but the rest of them, you know, um, that, that, even that would have given me more than just a I hand think, wave. I think they ran out of time. Okay. So because, and the reason why I keep saying, I think they ran out of time is because that scene would have required probably five minutes, which is a lot of time. Yes. And, but can you imagine the power of watching the not only like self-conflicted Farron, but the self-conflicted with a bunch of con- conflicted, right? Like trying to work through this work and, 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 um, and articulating, you know, doing a little bit of a, of a, of a violation of the um, show me, don't tell me rule articulating as he's working on each personality, like kind of how it's making him feel. Cause right. he would be able to express a bit of regret, but noble sacrifice for the loss of a crew of a crew member, right? Like they knew what they were signing up for. Uh, they knew that it could result in this exact thing. And while it is, um, while it is sad and tragic, it must be done. And then you could see him struggle with killing his sovereign. Like that would have been a good scene. Like, you know, yeah. like we don't like him, but it doesn't matter what we think this guy in his head, it's his sovereign. Um, and you know, sacrificing his sovereign for the people and then sacrificing his son for the people, Mm, right? mm -hmm. You could have had a lot of a heavy emotional stuff there. It would have been, oh my God, I've been bawling my eyes out. Um, and and even if, or, or, you know, vary that a little bit and say, well, okay, so is there anything, you know, having that scene, is there anything that we can do to save these people? Without killing them, you know, hmm. can I save Jackson without having to, to, you know, put these on the cutting room floor? And then you have that scene where he's like, well, okay, the only thing, the only way to save him is put him somewhere else. And the only one who's willing to do that is me. I don't know if I can take it. I probably can't. But if it's the, if it's the only way that we can save these people, okay, let's do that. Let's have that scene. And now you see Farron. Hmm. 
intentionally take on the extra weight Mm -hmm. of these voices in his head and see him crumple a little bit but then hold or whatever yeah um you know there there is a scene that is missing yep and and because this is me and this is me in this moment and maybe i am hypocritical and i will own that but right now it fails for me and without that scene it doesn't the the whole episode as good as the rest of it is doesn't hold together i've often been a person who is 100% willing to take a story that has been given to me and for my own enjoyment kind of mush some things around inside my head right Sure. Um, and for me, I'm going to go ahead and put in a new scene and it could still fit. And, and, uh, Jack needs to shut his big fat mouth at the end of that scene there. Um, because of the sacrifices that were needed, but you know what? I'm going to go ahead and inside my own head, I'm going to write that scene in that, that, that there is, there is this, this in just ridiculously difficult, uh, effort that only one person can do and it's Farron. And every single time that he rescues a personality, he has to put it in his mind immediately. And you just watch him break under the weight of that. But yet he still keeps putting one foot in front of the other because it's the best, it is, it is the best chance as, 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 a, as terrible of a crummy chance as that is, it is literally the best one. I am reminded as you talk about this, I'm thinking about uh, the Star Trek next generation episode Offspring. I believe mm. it's a third season episode. This is the episode where Data has a child, Lol. He creates yeah. an android who's his child. And of course, at the end of the episode, she starts feeling emotions, and that causes a cascade problem in uh, in her brain, and she mm. ultimately dies. And of course, the Admiral who's been there and has been a jerk the whole time asks if he can help Data uh, try to save her. And there's this scene of just watching... Uh, Jordy and and uh, Troy and and Wesley Crusher in the hall waiting, and then you see the admiral come out, and he just he tells them. So here's an, a, a moment of telling and not showing, but the telling is so powerful. He's like, his hands were in there moving faster than I could see, trying to stay one step ahead of these cascading failures, and finally he just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that, and, and that was an emotional moment. Yeah. And then you go into the the next scene, which is uh, Data saying goodbye to Lol and all of that stuff. This episode would have benefited from something like that, mm-hmm. um, especially when the only one who could do this is Farron, and the only place that these things can go is in Farron's head. And so now Farron has to somehow explain how this is going to work to Sam, somebody, right? right. who is then going to have to oversee this process. I don't know. I bet you, um, uh, what was the name of the actor who played Farron? James Parks. I bet you James Parks could have done it. I agree. I, I bet you James uh, Parks could have, could have conveyed the enormity of this. Yeah. I bet you, I bet you he could have. I bet you he could. You, you, I bet you we could have watched his, his, his mind begin to break but yet still see Farron's determination to see it through yeah boy that would have been a good one man that would have been a good one but um you know number one that wasn't the story we were given uh number two 
I mean, just because I like that idea so much and I can totally, I mean, like in my mind's eye, I can, I can almost like visually see it. Right. right. Especially with the, with the, um, super abbreviated, um, set choices that were made. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like it could take place, uh, like in the, it, it probably could take place on the ship. Like Daniel's in a stasis pod or whatever. Like there's a little like collary thing around Farron as he's like at a, at a thing or whatever, you know, like it would be a little bit corny in that regard, but like, you know, you could still pull it off and you know, it just, just moment after moment of just getting each one of them out of there. And, you know, getting closer and closer to success. And you could even have a, you could have a crisis moment there where it's like, you know, there's 23 mines inside Farron right now. Yeah. <laughs> there's one left. <laughs> like, like, it's like, and he's bare, he's, is he going to be able to do it? Is he going to be able to do it? Like, and, 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 you know, and, and, you know, give him a look of determination. Let him be a hero for a minute. Let him, let him, let him, let him lift up the weight of all of that finish the job collapse you know we throw him in the stasis chamber like we you know did he make it well his vitals are stable like you know what i mean we could leave it like that sure that would have been powerful so i think what happens in this episode is brad wright says i want to write an episode that gives michael shanks a chance to play a whole bunch of different characters yes and they did that very well Mm -hmm. and they were so focused on that Mm. that the actual plot of the story mm. breaks for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I would have loved to see something more such that the... I would have liked to see the, the acting chops of, Dan, of Michael Shanks mm-hmm. uh, serve the plot, mm. whatever that plot is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. than the plot serving his chops. And that's my critique. That's a good take. That's a really good take. Well, I could comp- continue complaining about this episode. <laughs> but I would just recycle the same things over and over again. <laughs> is it time to tell, uh, talk about what we think? I think I mean, it not is. not think, but like Chevron's. Uh, Chevron's. Yep. All right. Hit me up. What are your Chevron ratings? Well... I mean, I'm not being, I, there's a little bit of me that's being a little bit clever in the next words out of my mouth, but I got to tell you, I, I, this is, this is hundred percent genuine. I'm of multiple minds on this one. Ha ha ha. I, I get it. But I I'm serious, it. right? Like, like, um, uh, on one hand, the headcanon story that I just came up with, like, boy, that, oh man, I would love to have seen that. And I almost got it right. I almost got it to the point where I was absolutely willing to just go ahead and fill that last little bit in there myself. Just like, okay, let me patch that yep. up a little bit. Yep. Um, and, uh, I was, I was gripped by this story, gripped by this story. And I'm a, I'm a sucker for the, um, parent-child dynamic i'm a sucker for it but fine fine that's me i i got i that that grabbed me that grabbed me by the heart and yanked me yep um and the sovereign was a complete tool bag but again i interpreted that one line which might have been a complete misinterpretation but i interpreted that one line as being his words being not like thrown back at him but the words being like this is what it takes and that's what gave you know the Maurice, the sovereign, that last moment of recognizing this is it. You're done sure. now. Yep. Um, and all of those, there was so much about it that was, there was so much nobility, uh, not in the sovereign sense, in the 
genuine sense um, <laughs> that, you know, in that whole arc that uh, I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to break my rule in like three different ways here. Okay. Rule break number one. I'm gonna first. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna imagine the story that I wanted, not the story that I was given. That's a big. I, that's a huge break for me. I. I give my ratings based off of how I felt immediately after watching the episode. Well, immediately after watching the episode, I was of multiple minds. So I think that uh, rule break number two is that I'm gonna give more than one rating. Oh my goodness. And uh, rule break number three is that I'm breaking the rules. So I am giving this. <laughs> I'm giving this, I'm not joking. I'm giving this three ratings. I'm giving this a six, a seven, and an eight. Six is what I got on the board. Like, they gave it to me. I had a great time with the episode, and it didn't really land very well. But you know what? I enjoyed it. Seven, it got me thinking about some extremely interesting questions. Which is more important, saving a society or saving an individual? How do you make that choice? I thought I saw a story of a man in crisis with no choices and diminishing time doing his very best to try to figure out a way to save a society at the expense of himself and then seeing an opportunity to help even more in the form of these strangers like, you know, poor choices, but I could kind of get it. Eight, if if I were given the story that you and me kind of just conjured up right now, I would have been a ball on the floor crying my eyes out with the weight of that story and those choices, understanding that sometimes you can't win, and in doing that, you won. Like, sometimes you have to lose in order for something else to win, and you're willing to do it. And man, that would have been a good story. That would have been a really, really good story. So, okay. six, seven, eight. What about you, Zach? Six, seven, eight. Wow. Okay, so, you know, normally our ratings aren't usually all that far off, you know, a point here, a point there. Sure. Um, and if we got the story that we had kind of rebuilt, and, and if they had gotten those two or three scenes in there uh, that that bridged those gaps for me, then, yeah, sure, I could be up there in that range of six, seven, possibly even an eight sure, for maybe. that. Yeah. Uh, but no. Uh, this episode, uh, I, I love Michael Shanks's acting in this. He does a great job with it. Um, but the story, it doesn't work. The story mm-hmm. falls apart for me. This is a three. Wow. Yep, yep, yep. No. Yep, yep. It just doesn't work for me. Yep. It's uh, been a long time since we've been this far apart on a thing, but it's happened. It, it, it is. It, yeah. Um, but there you go. Yeah. Uh, and usually when we have this kind of split, I'm the high one and you're the low one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, but it, like for me, I, I'm well, first off, I know for a fact no one's going to get it because no one's going to see me do three scores. Um, but second, like um, this struck a chord that I love hearing and it struck it well enough that I was willing to go the extra mile for it, which is unusual, but I did it. Right. And it's that chord that I'm in love with. And, and, and for me, it struck that chord, and then it immediately started modulating those notes and mm. such that when it finally came to its end, it didn't hit the landing. Yeah. And, and you know, you're like, oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, I had, what, what was that? Ep- I don't remember the name of the episode. There was an episode a while ago where I was really interested in the philosophical questions they were answer- asking, and then they did just a garbage job dealing with it that I just I just canned it. Like, I was just like, I'm done with this one. Like, get out of here. Yeah, I, I remember you doing that. I can't remember yeah. the episode. Yeah. Anyway, shall we 
Oh yeah. See what our <laughs> listeners oh, have to say. Heavens to Betsy, shall we ever? Uh, let me go to the Twitters because I did notice that there were some reactions, but I don't know if there are any uh, responses. So here I go. Here's the shivadoo. Okay, we got one. Oh, okay. Hello. Hello. Uh, we have got uh, Adrian. Hi, Adrian. Adrian. Hi, Adrian. The acting is by Michael Shanks is pretty good. I wonder if they wrote this episode just to make sure he felt he had enough to do. The story is okay. I wish it would explain more about the culture that crashed. Five from Zach, a little high, and six from Brent. He got one of them, right? Ooh, well, there you go. One of my three, right? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then we got a couple more in here. We've got Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Kevin says, my obligatory Twitter comment, period. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. And then uh, we've uh, we got David. Hi, David. David says, uh, that's nice of you, giving Brent something to read. Oh, Y'all are so nice. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's what we got on the Twitters. All right. Well, we've got some Facebooks. Uh, we'll start with Chris. Hi, Chris. This episode is fantastic, he says. It proves you don't need to save money by making a clip show. Instead, you can just have Michael Shanks do all of the acting <laughs> instead of paying for dozens of guest actors. Yep. <laughs> uh, indeed. Uh, and eight for Brent. Oh, they got one Because it's right. such a Daniel-heavy episode. Uh-huh. A seven for Zach, because uh-huh. while this episode is great, I don't remember it doing much to move Meta Story along. And he's been really into that lately. True. Uh, you know, there is something to that. But, uh, you know, if you give me a really, really good story and stick the landing. Yes. Then then I can forgive you not having the meta story. Yep. But. Uh, Alas. Yeah. I, I the, the land. I don't know. You're not. Uh, exactly. Yeah. You're yeah. not wrong. Yep. All right. And, we've and got people Sand- might be like wildly different about their opinions about it. But anyway, carry on. I'm sorry. Yeah. We've got Sandus. Hi, Sandus. Uh, we haven't heard from Sandus in quite a while, but uh, welcome back. Uh, in fact, hi guys, it's been a long time. <laughs> How can I go. not be here <laughs> for my favorite episode ever? Oh, that's awesome. I predict seven for both. Uh, Michael Shanks was simply phenomenal. I can't wait to hear your comments. I got to I got to say I'm no big fan of Dr. Frazier or her performance in this episode or any episode, to be honest. Hmm. I wished if most of Daniel's scenes were with Jack because I love their dynamic. I, I can see that logic. I did enjoy watching uh, Janet Frazier in this episode, uh, but I can also imagine what would it have been like if it was a, if it was another um, Abyss episode, but in the other direction. Sure, sure. Um, you know, I don't know. I, 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 don't, have a, I don't have the same problem with uh, Frazier, but... You know, everybody is is different. Everybody mm-hmm. has their own thoughts on this, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why I love this segment. Mm-hmm. All right. Rowan is next. Hi, Rowan. Rowan says, Daniel Jackson has some uninvited guests living rent-free in his head, mm-hmm. and they're not happy with the accommodations. I'm not sure what they're so upset about. I wouldn't mind having a timeshare that looked like Michael Shanks. <laughs> this body is younger and stronger than mine. <laughs> Uh, they continue. The team aren't about to let Daniel lose his mind and body to a bunch of squatters when he only just got them back. But in the meantime, uh, it's a fun opportunity for Shanks to flex his acting chops. Mm-hmm. 
He's a sovereign. He's a crewman. He's a child. He's a mother. He's a sinner. He's a saint. Oh, <laughs> and he'll never be the same. <clears throat> oh, wait. I may be thinking of something else there. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> this is kind of an interesting one, ethically speaking, but suffers a bit from a rushed resolution. Mm -hmm. Amen. Brent will give it a 5, and Zach will give it a 4. This episode has been rated 7.8 on IMDb, which is a 4.5 on my IMDb to Chevron conversion mm -hmm. scale, mm -hmm. putting it in the top half of Stargate episodes overall. Yep, yep. There you go. Yeah. Uh, we have Kevin. Hi, Kevin. So Kevin is now going to give us his actual ratings and not just the obligatory hello on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> Hi, Zach. Hi, Brent. Hi, Kevin. This is a Daniel Heavy episode, which is great if you love watching Michael Shanks act. Mm -hmm. Some do, some don't. Mm -hmm. I don't judge either way. I can't help but feel that this was written to help Michael Shanks feel like the writers haven't forgotten that he wanted a chance for a wider range of acting. And oh boy, act he does. Mm -hmm. He does some of his most passionate acting here. I'm going to predict a six from Brent because he loves watching Michael Shanks act. Mm -hmm. But we don't get progression of the overall story of the series, and I predict it's a five from Zach, because although he also likes watching Michael Shanks act, he doesn't enjoy it as much as Brent. <laughs> I'm gonna give credit uh, I'm gonna give Kevin credit for getting me getting it right. I mean, I guess if I give multiple ratings, I you know I'm gonna be that person that's like, Yeah, hey, you got one of them. That's right. Good job. Okay. We've got some emails. Okay. We've got quite a few emails. Hmm. Um, we are going to start with Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. Uh, Kimberly says, got my last weekend of basic today, but Ooh. didn't want to miss out on predictions for this amazing episode. It's a bottle episode and again, doesn't add anything to the meta narrative, but we get to see Michael Shanks display the breadth of his acting ability uh -huh. for this latter fact for this latter fact alone. I predict that both Brent and Zach will rate it high mm. seven for Brent and six from Zach. Yeah, you got one of them. There you go. Uh, well, you know, apparently I am in the minority of just dumping on this episode. That's okay. I, I, I am not. I'm going to stand firm. That, that's as you should. That's right. Our show. Right. They can make their own. That's right. <laughs> you don't like it. Do it yourself. <laughs> Dude, make your own. I'd listen. <laughs> yeah. All right. We've got Justin. Hi, Justin. Given, the, given I did the things where I put words in Zach's mouth last week, I cannot very rightly do the same thing again. Can I, precious? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a multi-level one right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. No, you're that's have not to, very like, nice. Zach, you're going to have to get on like two sides of a tree as you're doing this one. You're going to have to go back and forth. Okay. Starting with a nice CG establishing shot, we jump back to a Doctor Who era set where Teal'c exposits the thinnest of premises for SG-1 to split up and walk down desperate ambush alleys because <laughs> counting. <laughs> Fair. Well, we have to figure out how much a plethora is. That's, I guess that's it. That's it. But uh, yeah, I did. I did even. No, nope, didn't even. Didn't even think All about right. that. That being said, Michael Shanks took the high school one-act play dialogue and chewed through the scenery like the master thespian he is. Mm -hmm. I cared about him, not about the Golga Frinchim, 
and the B arc filled with telephone sanitizers. <laughs> telephone sanitizers? Uh, you know, I am reading the words. That's What's all a telephone I'm sanitizer. Is it like a thing that like you know gets rid of beeps and boops? I I, I don't know. It sanitizes the. T- you know what? It's does, it's like a car wash for your telephone. Does it keep uh, Does it keep Johnny drop tables from enrolling? Probably. Uh huh. Maybe I don't know. Shall I continue? Yes, please. All right. It might be a, a, a Doctor Who reference. I don't know enough Doctor Who to get all your old references. <laughs> Somebody got it. That's the rule. Possibly. It didn't help that their process of storing consciousnesses seems based on the same principle of trapping an election in an extension cord plugged into itself. That is fantastic. That's a good one. I like that one. <laughs> not, not an election, an electron. Okay, an I like the election better. In an extension cord plugged into itself. I thought but, that was a know, reference hey. to the democracy of one there. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. let it stand. Hey, <laughs> either way. Uh, they they would ring in mental circles. And, uh, they would ring in mental circles until they thaw out the body. Right. Uh, but at least Jack was able to get Ferrum's pronouns right and have a touching moment with Daniel returned to them. Tom Baker level sets and tech with Christopher Eccleston level acting. Mm-hmm. I'll say Brent will give it a Peter Davidson. Zach will add the celery. That would be a five and a five and a half, respectively. <laughs> oh, man. No, I chose to give it a um, Tom Baker, a David Tennant, and a Matt Smith. And um, who was the doctor who played in that one movie? The, the one who just oh, did William one movie? Hurt. What? William Hurt? No, no, no. Um, not, not, not the war doctor. The... Oh. the the one just before Christopher Eccleston. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, t- uh, McG- McGinnis, McGill, McGinnis, McGinnis? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm giving it that. <laughs> he existed. <laughs> All right. Justin concludes. Justin concludes. So long and thanks for all the fish. So long and thanks for... Wait a minute. Was, was uh, What's his face with the celery actually the fifth doctor? One? Yeah, he was. Possibly. One, Possibly, two, three, four, yeah. Five. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what I think uh, that's what uh, Justin was going for. I was going in the doctors that I liked the most. Well, no, no, you're fine. You, you can, I don't know. Yeah. I, I got nothing. Fine. All right, we've got Dan. Hi, Dan. Dan says, I mean, what can you say about this episode other than what an outstanding performance by Michael Shanks, Michael's Shanks, Michael Shanks, and Michael Shanks? <laughs> Uh, did I miss anyone? Uh, I don't think so. No, you missed uh, the McKilly Shank eye. Oh, oh, you, you, you. There's also Michael Shanks. Don't forget Michael Shanks. Yes, yes, yes. Other than that, can you imagine a more skippable episode? <laughs> Sounds like you got an ally here, there, Zach. <laughs> no, Dan. No, I cannot. Other than Shanks' acting, there's nothing really memorable here. It's a shame. I can't help but feel like this could have been better. But I also uh, couldn't tell you how. Lessons to be learned. One, do not argue with Janet. It doesn't matter what your your supposed title is. Don't argue with her. Yeah, that's all I got. Yep. Yeah, that's right. She just doesn't care. I don't give a darn. He's our shortstop. You were in that body and I intend to get it back. You don't belong in that man's body and I intend to take you out. Yeah. Whoa. 
Brent doesn't know it yet, but this is not the last time we have this storyline. Saddest part is Atlantis does this so much better. Mm. I'll give this a generous four. Okay. Without Shanks, this is barely a three. I'm guessing Zach awards some score while Brent will be enamored uh, with the acting of Shanks, 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 and Shanks and give it a five. Close. Very close. So you got my score and you didn't quite hit high enough on Brent's. Uh, yeah, but I mean, again, I mean, I totally own that I have decided that this was not the story. I didn't. The story that I'm imagining in my head is the story that I'm choosing to believe. And man, that was a good story, Zach. Uh, well, you know, the story that you were choosing to believe yeah. would have been a good story. It I just wasn't know. what we got. Well, okay. Details. Details. All right. I know. Dan Dan concludes. Mm-hmm. Shanks, guys. Uh, sorry. <laughs> it had to be done. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. All right. We've got Aunt Susie. Hi, Aunt Susie. Lifeboat was an acting tour de force for Michael Shanks as Mm -hmm. well as Terrell Rothery. Mm -hmm. They owned the episode with their superb acting and on-screen chemistry. For that reason alone, I would give it a 7. But Mm -hmm. in considering the episode as a whole, I might have to back off that rating a bit. I think the all-too-happy resolution was a little too rushed and Mm -hmm. convenient. But Mm -hmm. then I must consider awarding extra alien brownie points because the ship Stromos was most likely named after the USCSS Nostromo from Alien. Oh, fun. That's kind of cool. Uh, You know, yeah, yep. Uh, One of my favorite movies. It is a good movie. So I'll settle on seven chevrons for the episode. Okay. Since both Brent and Zach appreciate Michael Shanks' acting abilities, I expect they might give a rating on the high side. So I'm guessing a five for Brent and a six for Zach. Very close to me. Not so much for Zach. Not so much for me. Um, yeah. All right. And finally, we've got David. Hi, David. David has several Chevron encoding bias buffers that are oh, yeah, a that little bit sense. different. Yep. Each one's a little bit. Yep. Mm-hmm. I did not remember watching this episode before, and I barely remember it this time. In Mm. fact, I fell asleep or drifted away while watching it or something. All I remember is I realized that they had somehow solved the impossible problem for Daniel and that the episode was over. I had no interest in going back and seeing how they did it, and I still don't know now. I'll assume a wizard did. (laughs) I mean, the episode we got, you might as well have. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, David continues, the master thespian acting by Michael Shanks was just him doing some silly accents or shouting or trying to act like a little kid and was fine. I did like Terrell Rothery in this episode and thought she did a great job. Mm-hmm. In the end, though, they didn't, uh, in the end, though, didn't they just leave the guy in his ship alone with everyone in his head? Uh, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya ending? Uh, they did not even solve the trolley problem. For him with computers or guns or talking or anything. <laughs> Can you tell I did not really like this episode that much? Sounds like you got another ally there, uh, Zach. Yeah, well, you know, Brent, he loved Michael Shanks, Master yeah. Thespian, Six yeah. Chevrons. Yep, yeah, Zach, got it. He empathized with Michael Shanks, Master Thespian, but did not like the episode as much. Five and a half Chevrons. Oh, yeah, well, I yeah. panned it, David. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Boo. I, I threw a nuke on that and let that simmer. Yep. <laughs> let it simmer. <laughs> you got to let the nuclear sludge simmer for about 15,000 years before it really starts getting that flavor. Well, you know, we're only just now beginning to 
start to smell the 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 beginnings of what the uh, Chernobyl disaster really is going to be like. Mm. I mean, it's just now beginning to bubble up and like, ooh, this is going to be special. Just a rich, just a just a, just a fantastically just you know powerful. Uh, I don't know where I'm going. I wanted to make a joke. I was confident I could find one, but then like just the faintest sousson of humor was able to make Indeed. it through. Indeed, no. and. Just so you know, Brent, uh, because this episode was called Lifeboat, and frankly, there aren't enough lifeboats for all of the people involved, I had to make a Rose Jack uh, wooden door reference in my approach on Facebook. So there you Mm. go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's smart. That's smart. All right. So, Brent. Yes. We have just now seen that apparently it is not impossible to take 12 brains out, 12 minds out of one brain and keep the one brain that was there originally intact. Mm -hmm. Even though they said it was impossible, apparently it's not. That's now in the past. We look forward. The Mm -hmm. next episode is called Enemy Mine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not Mm -hmm. not Enemy Mind, because we've just had that. Enemy Mine. Mm Mm-hmm. What is Enemy Mine all about? Didn't we already see this one? I thought that was back... I mean... Next time on Stargate SG-1, the SG-1 team travels through the gate to find themselves in a strange world. It's a world that is barely habitable. It is a world that is currently habited by two life forms. One is this weird, like, lizardy-looking dude thing that uh, that is uh, apparently at war with Jeff Daniels. And the two of them have been locked in a life-and-death struggle for a while until they discovered that they really needed to get along in order to actually live there, to which they've done so. They've become something of friends. They've learned about each other's cultures. They have learned to put aside their differences. And then they found a way to get off of the rock if i remember right and then he had to go back and then he rescued some people and it was adventuresome and it was really enjoyable and it was recommended to us after watching an episode of stargate sg1 that was basically the same plot as that movie but apparently is not the plot of the next episode wait a minute This is one of those episodes that is self-referential. It is looping in on itself like an extension cord plugged in on itself. Will the electron (laughs) move through? Will the election move through? Do not know, friends. Find out next time on Stargate SG-1. Enemy mine. Ah, well, that that was very self-referential. It's uh, turning into a specialty anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Uh, shall we watch the promo and find out what Enemy Mine is about? Yes, let's do it. All right, I am hitting play now. Next time on Stargate SG-1. A dispute over land ends in bloodshed. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. These things killed one of my men. They strung him up like a scarecrow. What the hell do you think I intend to do? To help with the conflict between you and us and Stargate Command, Daniel Jackson calls on a friend. Chuck has never been in a structure like this before. We didn't even know they were here. How the hell could we have provoked them? The deposit is over 300 meters in length and almost completely solid. Will they be able to settle their conflict? Or will it end in an all-out battle? Oh no. Oh. It's all next time on Starling Hest. That is...
a lot of angry-looking Unas. That is a lot <laughs> of angry-looking Unas. You are 100% right. Uh, are they going to... I wonder if they're going to try to... I mean, is it? I wonder if this is going to be a bit of a more on the on the point homage to the movie, because um, there's definitely I can from that promo I can see some similarities to what the story of the movie was about. We will have to wait and see. Okay. Yep. Uh, special thanks to David for putting together yes, the promos. You, we love those. Uh, tell us what you think. Where did we get it right? Where did we get it wrong? Uh, did you, now that you've heard my opinions, have I swayed you? Ah. Do you still think that uh, I should take a long walk off a short pier for this episode? Whatever it is, uh, you know, maybe I should be like Jack and be left adrift out in the freezing cold waters to die while you survive and rose on, you know, who knows? I don't know. Whatever it is. <clears throat> Sorry. Email Clean. us at walking through the Stargate Clean. at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. Of course, you can go to Facebook, the Facebook page, and the Facebook group. And of course, join us on Discord for general chats and all of that fun stuff. That's right. There's the website, WTTS.space. Space! And with all of that, I say I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.